0: I'm meeting in the ladies room i don't need this i'll be back ha <laughs> <laughs> to the ladies room
1: we need to talk use the ladies room
2: Welcome into another episode of the Ladies Room. As always, I am Julie DeCaro with my fantastic co-host, Jane McManus. Hey, we're here to talk about sports and stuff. It's like it's like the um did you watch Cobra Kai, Jane? No. Mm-hmm. Did you see the original Karate Kid?
1: No, I'm uh I'm functionally culturally illiterate. All
2: right, we need to stop the show right now <laughs> while you watch Karate Kid, Karate Kid 2, and then you watch all three seasons of Cobra
1: Kai. Anyway, they go to a place called The Outsider. What can I say? The Outsiders. I'm, you know, that was kind of where I stopped with Ralph Macchio. Um, yeah, you missed a lot. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um.
2: Yeah. Okay. Anyway, well, that Jack joke didn't land at all. So let's move on. Hey. Um. So I have been sort of keeping my head down on the Deshaun Watson stuff because it happened. Um. The week, the, the story, really started ramping up the week I was out. Um. Doing promos for my book, and I just haven't caught up enough on it to really feel like I can speak on it. Um. But uh, I read Jenny Ventus' story today, and obviously, I have a general idea of what the allegations are. Um,
1: did you see Jenny's piece today in Sports Illustrated? I did. I saw that she had spoken to one of the massage therapists with allegations. Who's not even involved in the
2: lawsuits as of yet. Um, she's like weighing her options. You know, it is really interesting because when I, and I should have known better, but when I, when I came back, I saw all these guys saying like, oh, I don't really know what to think. Like, you know, this lawyer is really shady and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, maybe there really is something to this idea that you know the Texans are out to frame Deshaun Watson or what I, I don't know. Um and I was so I kind of waited for more to come out along that line. And of course the lawyer came out and said, oh, we have proof that one of them is trying to blackmail him, which you know, reaching out to someone who has aggrieved you with a settlement offer and saying, hey, you know, I feel like you did this to me. I want you to pay me or I'm going to go to the press. I mean, that's not really blackmail. That's more of like an offer for settlement, although attorneys always frame it as blackmail. Um, I I was appalled once I started digging into the case, because here we are again. I feel like it's another Bill Cosby situation. I think there are 19 lawsuits that have been filed so far and more women than that involved. It's essentially a class
1: action suit at this point.
2: Right. In all terms for the same things, it. all for substantially the same kinds of things that happened. And Jenny's story today was sort of in keeping with that as well. And I am so appalled to still see guys be like, well, this is the attorney's really shady. The attorney may be shady. There's no way you're going to get 19 women to come forward and file a lawsuit against a famous person. I mean, I'm thinking of filing a lawsuit against a semi-famous person, and I'm terrified of it. (laughs) You know, like, I, I can't imagine taking on someone, the level of Deshaun Watson and just doing that cavalierly because you think there might be some money in it for you. So the fact that there are so many women involved and I'm still hearing guys say things like that, or today I saw someone tweet out, Oh, now that Jenny Vrentis has reporting on it. Now it's a turning of the tide. And I was like, really? You didn't feel that way that it was probably true when there were like more than 10 women. Like, I feel like
1: we're in Bill Cosby territory again here. Right. And, and, you know, I think, but I I think it's, I think you have to try to be fair when there is an allegation initially. I do think you have to try to be fair to the person who's accused by by withholding judgment and until you hear more about what actually is alleged. And you know, so I always take a deep breath because you just you have. I think you have to. You you can't just when one thing comes out say that must be correct. I I really am on the. I I, I love the phrase believe women. Because I think we haven't been believed at all, and yet at the same time, I think in individual cases you do have to—you uh, can't jump to conclusions one way or another. And so, when you hear about cases like this happening, um, you, I think it's important to wait. And usually, what we've seen happens, and the reason you re- reference Bill Cosby is because this is—or with Andrew Cuomo is another situation—is mm-hmm. that. There are, there are more stories that are told and they all kind of have the same point, um, which is the a, a similarity uh, in the way things are described, especially if they're it's described similarly before the first public descriptions come out. Right. So like if if the if three suits are filed at around the same time and they all have very similar details, for example, like in the Deshaun Watson case. And I, that's when I think you're, you're right. You really, you do need to be listening because each one kind of bolsters the one that came before. It becomes harder to disbelieve.
2: Well, and, and here's the thing. I completely agree. And as a journalist, of course, you don't, you're not supposed to pick a side, right? But to me, that also encompasses not putting potential conspiracy theories out there for the 100%, public, yes. which is what I see a lot of guys doing every time this comes up. Like, oh, yeah, here's three women saying this, but keep in mind, you know, and I guess having been on the side of it where I'm working with victims and having seen what it takes for these women to even get an order of protection in a civil court against Mm -hmm. an abuser and how much agonizing goes through it and how much cajoling and not not cajoling, but so how much like bolstering of them and, you know, trying to support them and everything that goes into it. I just do not believe that you can get multiple women together, nineteen women or however many there are, it's to 19. to to say we're just going to do this because we we're going to make it up because we think there's money in it for us. I just don't believe that happens.
1: Well, uh, well, here's the here's the thing: is that whenever a woman makes an accusation against a famous person, a woman or a man, it they there is no winning in that. There, even if you were to settle out of court, there it, your life is not better Correct. at the end of that accusation. And so in order to come forward with something like that, you really have to I mean, I think, you know, it takes it's a very difficult thing to have to do. And yes, there are false accusations that have been made in robbery cases in every, you know, every not just in domestic violence and not just when it comes to sexual harassment. Uh, But those are rare. And they are just as rare in cases like this as they are in, in other types of cases. Correct. Yeah.
2: And, so and, the fact that, and the fact that they're, they all have the same lawyer, that does not surprise me at all. Because one person, you know, talks to another person who says, hey, this happened to me too. Oh, really? You should talk to my lawyer. Or people see the lawyer on TV or read about him in the paper and say, hey, this happened to me too. And they contact that lawyer. Like that is the way that it you, goes yeah, in, in, all, in law across the board.
1: Right. Because you feel like it's going to be a safe person to speak with because obviously they believe someone enough to file a suit. right. absolutely. And I, and I, so, so I I agree with you 100%. I don't think you can make assumptions one way or another. You kind of have to wait for things to play out. And that's why, you know, certainly when these, the, the first case was filed, I can understand why the NFL said, well, we're waiting for more information before we do anything. Because you have to keep in mind that the NFL has a personal conduct policy that allows. It to take a player out of, you know, off of a roster or suspend a player pending um, the, uh, you know, before their charges are filed, let's say. So so the NFL could say that in this case, they feel like there's um, there's enough happening that they want to. you know, take and, you know, because there, but because there are no games, it doesn't really make sense for them to do it yet. I understand that, but the inaction in this case does look a bit odd, just considering that you do have 19 suits that have been filed now. And, and the other thing that I'll say about this is in 2011, when I was covering the Jets, two massage therapists there filed a suit against Brett Favre. Yeah, they did. And so the NFL has had a decade now to be aware that, This is a point where the opportunity for, uh, well, let's just say this, this is something that the NFL can make sure that players understand that the massage therapists that treat them are in a, they're in a professional environment and that they are to be treated with respect and as professionals. And, um, and obviously Here's- there may be, uh, you know, he, he, the fact that he was calling so many different massage therapists and so you know, usually a team has a massage therapist or a, a couple of massage therapists who work on the same players. And there's a continuity in that kind of care. Um,
2: well, and he was flying in massage therapists from other cities. It's all very- that's why I don't get like, if you have, like, I, I had a massage therapist. I had this, like, it I was great. Like my insurance covered acupuncture and like two massages a week. It was fantastic. And then they pulled the plug on it, but while it was going, it was great. Who, if you have a massage therapist that you like, who like is constantly looking around for new people, unless a, you can't get the people to come back for some reason,
1: or B you've got ulterior motives. Like to well, me, like that seems like very bizarre. It's like the person who cuts your hair, right? You, right. you like your hair cut a certain way. So you want to make sure you're going back to that person because you like the way you look when you leave. Maybe it's one the of those rich people thing. things that I don't understand because I could never fly someone in for a massage. So, but, but you know, that that's the kind of thing people do is they, well, like if you have a barber that you really like, you're flying that one barber around, you know? I mean, if you live like that, it's not that's not the lifestyle I'm accustomed to. No, But I either. imagine if, you, if one could do things like fly people in to take care of you, you're flying the same people in. And it's when you're away from home, not when you're... Home, so it all—it is a very unusual situation, and obviously the NFL needs to look into it. But it is one of those things where um, you—you—you'd hope that we've gone, we've had enough things like this happening. That, especially in the context of the NFL, where there have this has been something where, when you have, you know, when you have people working physically on other people, there is an opportunity there for harassment. And I would think that would be a situation where particularly since the NFL has faced this in the past, that there would be really strong understanding of, um, the professionalism involved in that kind of a, in a massage therapist client relationship. Yeah,
2: I agree. I mean, it's medical care, it's healthcare and you should treat them like you treat your doctor, um, yeah, I was just I'm appalled by the number of guys. And, and when I say guys, I don't just mean randos on Twitter. I mean, people working in this industry whose job it is to cover this stuff, who have said things like, oh, I'm not really sure. I think it might be hinky. I understand that, it's, that this is not who you thought Deshaun Watson was, but that is your problem. Not the problem of the women who are filing these lawsuits and telling their stories.
1: Right. And I think when we're when we're writing about these stories, it's really important not to be an apologist, uh, not to be embarrassed about what the content of these stories are. Um, I think they that the paper in Houston had a headline like, is this which is who's the real Deshaun Watson? Um, It's both. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, this is the
2: way predators and abusers behave. Right. Right. I mean, and obviously, you know, there's a difference to me between public opinion and a court of law where you're looking at depriving someone of their liberty or, you know, fining them heavily or making them go into, you know, some kind of program or register as a sexual offender that obviously much different standard. But when I'm just talking about people, you know, when you and I are sitting here talking, I can look at someone and say, okay, 19 women have claimed he did the same thing. Um, And and I have a pretty good idea of what I think happened.
1: Right. Well, in, it certainly is a situation where you, when you're writing about it, it shouldn't be apologetically. You should not be a Deshaun Watson apologist while you're writing a story on this particular topic or a headline. And, uh-huh. um, and I just think that, you know, we need to be pretty clear eyed especially in sports that, you know, this is, this is not a story about an icon or a hero, this is a story about a person and Mm -hmm. we need to be completely familiar with the dynamics that underlie this kind of treatment when we're writing these stories.
2: Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. And it's so funny because I feel like so long for so long, things have been so skewed. I just hit my mic. So that's going to be great. Sorry about that, Brian, who's going (laughs) to clean this up for us. Um, Oh, I completely lost my train of thought. All right. Anyway, well, it's you know what? It doesn't even matter because our guest is about to join us. She has just entered the Zoom waiting room. So we're going to bring her in here in just a second. Hello, I can folks, see you. folks. How you doing? She Hi. is here. Hooray. So um, really excited about this week's guest. She is a writer. She is a veteran. She is a crusader for marginalized people of all kinds, uh, particularly for the trans community, but by no means limited to the trans community. It is a fantastic Charlotte Climber joining us. How are you doing, Charlotte?
0: Hello, Julie. Hello, Jane. Two of my Hi. favorite writers on Twitter. How y'all oh, doing? Okay. You're so
2: sweet. We're so glad to see you. And could not have had better timing to have you on this week. Um, you know, we we had Chris Mosier on a couple of weeks ago and talked with him about. All these, we're starting to see all these bills limiting what you can do, what trans girls can do. Um, and since then, it's only, they've only exploded across the country. So today we got this horrible Arkansas bill that bans medical care, health care for trans kids. And Charlotte, what I'm trying to figure out is, it, does it say that it's banning what we would consider life affirming care, helping them transition? Or is it saying no health care for kids who have transitioned at all?
0: It's all gender affirming care, but what is so often lost here is that gender affirming care is life saving care. Yeah. You know, so many of these kids uh, have suicidality, have depression. Um, You know, some of them do commit suicide because of gender dysphoria. Uh, And that's why it is the strong recommendation of organizations like the American Medical Association, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Psychological Association, like all these major medical authorities. Have clearly stated that trans children should be affirmed and receive gender-affirming care because it is medically necessary.
1: It seems to me, Charlotte, that there that these bills, first of all, they they come in a wave across the country. So clearly it's a coordinated effort. It is. And it seems to me it's much like there's there's a a, a fraudulent argument that's put forth in a lot of different issues. Like for example, um, when mass shootings occur, it's the argument that guns are a mental health issue, um, which there are certainly people who, for whom having gun ownership is also a mental health issue, but that is not the totality of the situation that we're looking at. And it's using that issue as a way of obscuring the truth of other issues, um, and the larger issues of guns. And I, and I feel like this is the way that, that, that people who are, uh, anti-trans have decided to, kind of stick a wedge in between people who may be like, well, I like, you know, the way girls, I want girls to play sports and I don't want them to, I don't want anything to be unfair without realizing that, um, without really caring about fairness in any other aspect of these girls' lives um, in any way and I, and, or sports in any way, which is, you know, you don't see a lot of them coming up for equal pay in sports or anything like that when it comes to the women's team. And I just wonder, you know, how does it feel to kind of have to constantly have to argue these straw arguments that are put up as though they are the actual problem when really we're, we're talking about a much bigger issue than just sports. We're talking about, you know, people being able to live their lives and to feel accepted.
0: That's right. And I think you framed it perfectly. This is the latest iteration of the Republican Party trying to find a way to weaponize transphobia for electoral purposes you know they've been doing this for a decade. Uh it really kind of started with all the bathroom legislation that went nowhere uh because common sense kind of taught us that you know women's restrooms have stalls and it's not like you know you go in there and you can see women peeing and pooping or whatever. Um and once I'm people Sure bathroom, men know that. I don't I don't think they do. I really <laughs> think that a lot of men believe that you go in there and you just see naked ladies everywhere. Yeah, right. <laughs> if only if only. Um, right. And that's just not the case at all. Like, there's not even a fucking couch. Like, right. it's so often the trope in te- television shows, right? Um, oh, can I cuss on here? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yes, yes, okay, sure. Cool. Yeah, Okay, cool. It's Lock- like, that's why
1: we demand it, Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> it's like with um, locker rooms, when everybody's like, you know, oh, women go in locker rooms. It is the least sexy place uh, on earth. And so it, I think the same is probably true. Like, there's no, to bring sex into it as though it's some sort of thing hanging in the air is just a complete misrepresentation of what everybody experiences.
0: That's right. And, you know, I, I, think, I think they have failed so spectacularly on trans issues because people are informed on these things and they get why trans people need access. So, you know, they moved on to the trans military ban, which completely fell flat. The vast majority of Americans opposed it. Uh, even a lot of Republicans in Congress opposed it because uh, it just didn't make sense. But they finally found something, I think, where they believe they'll be successful, because it takes enormous advantage of our era of disinformation. Because very few folks understand uh, trans healthcare, uh, very few cis folks understand trans healthcare. Right. And, and so because there's that lack of information about it, uh, you know, Republicans are able to really frame it according to the existing knowledge that people have of sex and gender, like based on their fifth grade biology class, and they can just run with that. And there's not a lot of folks pushing back on the other side, which leads to all these people thinking that there are, you know, basically that biological uh, men, quote unquote, are waking up one day and deciding, you know what, I'm going to get into sports. I'm going to get into women's sports and dominate. Um, which is just absurd on so many levels, like every single argument they have for this falls apart completely, but they're so tenacious with it. And I I feel like there are a lot of progressives who they themselves don't know a lot about this issue. And they're afraid to engage on the science, even though the science completely backs up trans people in every single way. So
2: it's it's not surprising to me that, so few people understand trans healthcare because I mean we've seen guys in Congress for you know 50 years try to talk about the female reproductive system and they have no idea what they're talking about. So I can't even diagram it. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's I mean, so I want to talk a little bit about a kind of a bigger issue before we get back to these bills specifically. Um, the right is so good at gaslighting and framing the issue in a way that seems to make people just unable to see past it. So when they call all these these bills the Protection of Girls in Sports Act, I mean, that sounds great, right? I want to support girls in sports. I want to protect them. From what exactly? I don't know, but it sounds good. Um, And I just feel like on the left, we have such, we just are so far behind in terms of just the sheer ability to just completely gaslight people into oblivion with our messaging.
0: That's right. And I mean, it's, it's kind of a, no, a number of things working together, right? So I think one thing that often gets overlooked by a lot of folks, especially those on the quote unquote far left, is that the conservative base doesn't need to be led by reason or logic. Like it's all pure emotion and, you know, uh, discomfort and hatred. And, you know, conservative media takes advantage of that so easily, uh, just, just seamlessly. Like they, you know, you see Republican lawmakers shamelessly trot out these blatant lies, things that are easily disproven with like a 10-second Google search. And they don't back up. They don't apologize. They just trot it out like it's actual fact. And even when they're called out on it, they refuse to back away from it. And I think a lot of their fan base, their political base, adores that about them because they want someone to justify their anger and hatred and just sheer discomfort with the changing world around them. Now, then you have our base, like progressive base, and we're not like that. Like, you know, the the biggest strength of the Democratic Party is that it's a big tent. And the biggest weakness of the Democratic Party is that it's a big tent. You know, you have all these well-informed adults who engage with nuance and disagree with each other rationally and that makes it very hard to make a you know, cohesive front. Whereas with them, they get their marching orders and they're ready to go because it's not about policy goals in the end. It's really just about justifying bigotry and hatred. And that's why they're so good at just doing it over and over again.
1: It does seem like the, the progressives have to cover three quarters of the ideolo- ideological spectrum. So it's not... You know, it's not just, well, with the Democratic Party, they have to, it's it's the, the moderates, you know, and, and uh, the Joe Manchins of the world all the way um, over to the other side and try, and there is no one argument in a lot of these policy discussions that is going to cover that entire ground. Whereas you're right, there's a very small and focused um, point of view on the other side that doesn't seem to, it's the hydrochloroquine, I guess we could call yes. it, of um of policy discussions. And, and that's a really difficult place to be. And I kind of feel like that's part of this idea, you know, especially with, with trans girls playing sports that somehow you're going to have a rush of, of boys who, like you say, wake up one morning and decide they're girls when really any cisgender boy who were to play with girls, would not find victory in beating them and would only find humiliation and losing to them because of the way that we've stratified, uh, what, how we see boys in sport and how we see girls in sports. And they are such different things that the only reason I, I imagine that a boy in this scenario would play would be
0: to humiliate girls and to ridicule
1: the fact that they let trans girls play.
0: That's right. And you're, I I mean, I would be shocked if that were to happen. Um, I, wouldn't put it past like, you know, some, I don't know, multimillionaire conservative, like paying for some kid's tuition just for the stunt of joining a, a young woman's team in high school. But the odds of that happening are so, so very slim. They're not going to do it. You know, what's interesting to me, the NCAA has had trans-inclusive policies in place for literally a decade. Yeah, It was 10 years ago that the NCAA released regulations that were common sense based on the, you know, weighing in of scientific experts, sports scientists, et cetera, figure out how to include trans people and it's worked it's worked flawlessly in fact i mean there are ways that i'm sure it can be improved but it's a common sense policy and it basically you know one of the one of the critical components of it is that for openly trans women for them to compete on a women's team in college they have to uh uh, undergo hormonal uh, therapy for a year uh, because hormones just Break down your body. Uh, you know, estrogen really breaks down your body. Um, and it more or less, you know, nullifies the advantages that you would have had physiologically before you start taking hormones. Um, and so in all that time, how many, and in fact, not not just in the past 10 years, but of, of all time, how many openly trans young women do you think have gotten college athletic scholarships?
1: I would imagine that the number is quite modest.
0: I would say none. Exactly zero. It's exactly zero. There is not a single instance of an openly trans young woman in high school uh, or otherwise who has received a college athletic scholarship. Um, And so when they talk about this, I asked them to point this out. Uh, Like I tweeted at Abigail Schreer during her, um, uh, her, uh, testimony. And of course she ignored it because she doesn't have an answer. They never have an answer to that question. Mm. And then you ask, you know, well, okay, can you bring up like how many young trans women are playing high school sports? And they don't know the answer to that either. Right. It's all yeah. about the fear. It's about the visual. And they're so just absolutely goddamn shameless at pushing this fear visual, uh, and not being held accountable. And I gotta say, uh, that, you know, quite honestly, some of this blame falls on the media for failing to do their due diligence in properly researching and framing the answer. The only great article i would seen on this, by the way, was by, uh, David Crary at the, uh, Associated Press who reached out to all, like, I think at the time he, he did the story a couple of months ago, it was 27 states, like 26 or 27 states where these bills would have been introduced. And he reached out to all the sponsoring Republican lawmakers, and he asked like a simple question: Can you point to a real life example of where this has been a problem and where this justifies legislation? And in almost every instance, not a single lawmaker was able to point to an example of it.
1: That's no, a sure. you, go ahead, Jane. I just was. I just wanted to say that I, I as, as Julie knows well, I played roller derby for seven years. Con, you know congratulations to me everyone on this side <laughs> this is, <so laughs> odd, this is nauseated <laughs> by this but but they 10 years ago also they we because I was a, a member of the league at that point uh created a trans in, well 11 years ago trans, uh, and a policy to in, include trans skaters as well and it started off having a hormonal component component which we then backed off of because we felt that it was um coercive to try to force a decision um on whether or not a person should take a to, should change alter themselves medically if they didn't want to and um and just decided to include all people who identify as women to skate against and and so I've, I've skated against trans skaters and found it to be absolutely like skating against anybody else it's perfectly fine some people have strengths or weaknesses in one area another like every single other athlete you ever play against and i also think it overlooks the fact that so much play especially when we're children is actually co-ed and this idea that you have to be sorted before you can get onto a field is um, to me, you know, not how I experienced sports growing up. And I think it's actually quite poisonous because it means we can never actually cooperate on a field. It also always has to be by gender. And that to me is, you know, I would like to see it where people can play because they opt to play, not because they identify as a gender or another, or, you know, in what other sorting is, is imposed upon them.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, ideally we would have far more funding for folks to play in whatever team they wanted. Um, and that's, that's kind of what kills me about this argument, of course. And I, I know y'all know this, but maybe some of your listeners don't. It's just so ironic that they're talking about how women's sports are being attacked. But for example, they didn't say shit about all these controversies over the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Right. With, you know, women's teams not having adequate uh, 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 facilities to train during the tournament. Um, that they didn't even get the the kind of quality uh, COVID test the men's teams did, which is just mind-boggling on right. every level. Um, you know, they haven't had, had same shit to say about, you know, all of these uh, sexual abuse uh, scandals in college sports that are done by cis men against women. And whenever that comes up, they just ignore it completely. Because it's not convenient to their argument. And it riles up their base in a way that they feel like young men are somehow being attacked or held accountable. And that's the last thing you want to do when you're a Republican is hold young men accountable.
2: Yeah, and it's not limited to women's sports. I mean, they don't care about women in general unless they're somehow controlling our bodies. And to right. me, this is just another step in controlling women's bodies. Um, you know, I've got to ask you, Charlotte, about um, there's there are women out there who are uh, prominent athletes. I'm not going to name them, but you can look it up and figure out who they are, um, who, you know, have joined this working group on protecting young girls in sports or whatever it's called. Um, and, um, you know, have this argument that if you transition before puberty, then it's fine. But if you transition after puberty, I mean, how do you feel about that? I mean, these are people that consider themselves, I think, to be, you know, progressives and on the left and and supportive of the LGBTQ community and um, I, I, I don't know what to do with that. And, and I think it's sort of, you know, the same thing that we were getting back to before, like, do we actually know anyone who has you know transitioned after puberty and is just out there destroying the competition, like on an Olympic level? I don't know who that person is.
0: Well, would it be appropriate for me to name that person on here or,
2: you know, no, I mean, I think you can name whoever you want. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, yeah. Martina Navratilova is, you know, the biggest name in this so-called working group It's six public figures, supposedly with a little help from some peripheral figures as well, including one trans woman who, you know, I have have no idea what she contributed here at all. It doesn't make sense to me, but that's another story. But their their basic framing is flawed from the start uh, because it's based on, on faulty science that not only is it just illogical, but it's also incomplete on the parts where they are technically accurate. So, for example... Like, I think one of the studies they cited was uh, this gentleman who um, did a study about elite athletes, uh, and he did find that after, like, one year, trans women do have a slight advantage uh, in, in terms of physical strength and speed. He did say, however, that this wasn't taken into account training regimens, which is a big part of this, right, mm-hmm. uh, the way an athlete trains. And it shouldn't apply to recreational sports or kids sports. Right. And he, he like, he, he's like, hey, this, these are the results. But, you know, at the same time, like there are other factors left out. And this really shouldn't apply to anyone who's not like an elite athlete. Yeah. And of course, they didn't mention this. And so I had a conversation with Martina um, through DMs. And, I, and it was not the record. So it's completely fine for me to talk about this. But I just, you know, first of all, I asked her, like, why, are, why aren't trans people included in the main working group at all? And she's like, well, you know, we we're trying to, you know, do this right. And we want to, you know, help out and, you know, bring, like, people together who know about this. I'm like, yeah, but you don't have any trans-affirming people in the working group at all. Like, what if, and I asked her, like, what if six cisgender men formed a working group to talk about how women's sports could be improved? in a way that would make it, you know, more fair or entertaining or whatever the hell you are. Would you be okay with that? And of course she didn't answer the question, right? She immediately dismissed it and said, well, you know, I don't think this is fair because I am working in good faith. And like, no, but you're not working in good faith. And Martina bless her heart is right on so many things. Mm, Like, you know, she's a strong progressive across the board on other things, but on this issue just something about it is like a JK Rowling syndrome. There is, there is no room for logic, no room for common sense, no room for, for good faith, you know, recognition of facts. It's just very frustrating.
2: Yeah, Charlotte, I just want to say real quick, you know, we've had Martina on the show and and I agree. Like she is a great hero. She is a wonderful um, advocate on so many
1: issues. And she knows that on this issue, I disagree with her because I told her when she was here. So the other thing about Martina is she was actually coached by Renee Richards who was a trans woman on the tour and who played on the tour back in the eighties and never got never. I think she cracked the top 20 at 20, um, but she didn't dominate the WTA tour. So Martina, and I have a ton of respect for her, but she actually has a very firsthand experience um, that tells her that trans women don't dominate if they were to play at an elite level automatically.
0: No, and you know, I, I I've tried to talk to her about the science, point this all out. Um, I've asked her the same questions, like where where are these you know young trans women who are dominating sports? Because uh, they can they they always only point to, like a couple examples, and it's always some trans woman who's won like a championship and lost like eight or nine others to the same cis women. And they always talk about the ones they win. When trans women lose, no one gives a shit. Mm-hmm. No one cares. Um, Cece Telfer uh was a track athlete uh, a couple of years ago who competed at the Division II level. Um, black trans woman, and there, there's a reason that it's necessary to point out, uh, because she is now a meme. Uh, because all these, you know, you know, just ridiculous conservatives uh took a photo of her next to this uh young white woman, about a foot, about a foot shorter, you know, certainly not as much mature. And they basically said, you know who do you think won this race? And that's the whole me, right? Well, in that race, CeCe Telfer came sixth. <laughs> right? And the woman next to her won the goddamn race.
1: <laughs> right.
0: But because she's a black woman and because of the way we always, always masculinize and accuse black women athletes, especially at the elite level of doping, I mean, there's just so much bullshit, racist, homophobic nonsense, transphobic bullshit just tied into this that just, oh my God, it drives me nuts.
1: Yeah. And I'm also uncomfortable sometimes with the conversation that we have, because it means that we that if a trans woman were to actually win, that somehow that would be an emergency. And I don't want to live in a world where that's the case. Um, So, yeah, in some in some ways, that makes me that we have to it's almost like the argument that that people who are pro trans inclusion make is, well, they don't win, which I'm not exactly sure I want to have be the
0: rule no no i don't either um you know i I hate when i have to bring up the fact that no um young openly trans woman has received the college athletic scholarship yet because it feels like we're having to talk about how trans women are mediocre in order for trans women to just be you know affirmed in these spaces that's right that's never how it should be um it's just it's heartbreaking you know these are grown-ass adults who should know better and who should be able to look at all this data, uh, apply common sense and come to an equitable solution and they refuse to do so. And the other really
1: heartbreaking thing is that we're actually only a small percentage of women would actually be competing at that level anyway. What you're finding, what, what really is heartbreaking is the exclusion of young women who are looking for community on teams, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily looking to, you know, be the best in the world in tennis. Um, so I think that to me is even worse because here is a place where, you know, I think we've all probably at some point in our lives found in a locker room, real community and a real sense of acceptance. And that then would not be afforded to these young women who, and young men, who would need that more than anything. Because it's like a family,
0: right? You know, when you're on a sports team and that close and practicing every day together, it really is like a family, and it feels like you're just hanging out with your siblings. Um, and you know that is so often denied to young trans people, as you said. And the fact that we would deny yet another route to them, um, it, it just feels unconscionable and cruel on on a level that's hard to fathom. <sighs> Yeah, could not and agree then, more. And then, let me point this out too. Um, a couple of years ago, it was uh, so interesting because there is a young uh, a, a young trans man in Texas who wanted to compete with the boys, and they wouldn't let him because in Texas it, it is one of the states where it's currently illegal to do that. You have to compete in the high school. Oh,
2: this is Mac Beggs, right?
0: Yes. Yeah. Right. And he, he, he so he was forced to compete with the girls, and so he fucking demolished them. He won the state championship easily. And all these, all these goddamn parents were complaining and saying it was unfair, and you know how dare you be allowed to compete with the girls? And it's like, well, but but what do you want here? Like, what is that? You know, where can trans people exist in a way that finally makes you validate our humanity? You know?
2: Yeah, that's that's a great question. So before we go, Charlotte, and you've been so generous with your time, um, the question I have is for those of us that care about this issue what can we do to help? I mean, so many times my solution is just to scream into the void on Twitter, which just (laughs) feels like it goes nowhere. So, I mean, you know, we're hearing about Georgia and boycotting Coke and, you know, not flying Delta and all these things to try to push back. I know in North Carolina, when the bathroom bill was passed, the NCAA pulled out uh, Final Four or whatever was supposed to be in Charlotte. Um, So what can we do
0: right now to push back against these bills? So, okay, that's a complicated question. So let me let me start off with Georgia first. Um, uh, Georgia is really tough situation right now compared to how successful folks were against North Carolina and against Indiana with their whole LGBTQ nonsense, anti-LGBTQ nonsense. Stacey Abrams has made it absolutely clear that boycott would not help Georgia and it would not get done what we want done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I see a lot of well-meaning progressives and I was I was on this train too, not less than two years ago all about boycotting, you know, whatever in Georgia because of the bullshit that they pulled. Mm -hmm. But, you know, she's made it clear that this this would only hurt people who rely on those jobs and on that income. And that's a totally fair point. Um, Here's what I will say that people should do. Make sure you're getting involved in state and local politics first. Everyone focused on Congress all the time, uh, but the vast majority of political advocacy that can be done... uh, quite accessibly, is at the state and local level, you know, running for city council, running for your school board, running for a state legislature seat. So many of these offices are um, often run unopposed uh, or a very weak candidate wins because no one thinks that they can step up and beat that person. And it's when ordinary folks who really want to make a difference and are informed and passionate and they have a message, you know, their authenticity usually wins out but they have to step up first. So that's the first thing. For trans people specifically, two things real quick, and I promise we we'll uh, First of all, we got to support the Equality Act. That is the big um, piece of legislation that would make it uh, illegal to discriminate against LGBTQ people anywhere in the United States. Because right now, in most of the United States, literally most of the United States, LGBTQ people can still be discriminated against in housing, credit, public accommodations, jury service, education, so many things. It's really only marriage and employment protections that LGBTQ people have. But every other facet of the public square, in most of the United States, LGBTQ people still face discrimination. So the Equality Act would just nullify that completely. But we have to get it passed by the Senate. It's already passed by the House. We need 60 votes in the Senate. And if we put enough pressure on Republican senators, we might be able to get there. So that's the first thing. So make sure you call your senators, regardless of where you're at. I don't care if it's Texas or wherever. If you think you're a super red state, at least make the call. Um, and then the second thing, for cis folks who are listening to this, I really, really want you to do your homework on trans stuff. Learn more about trans healthcare. Uh, it's it's out there. Like it's just, you know, Google, Google is a subscription-free service. You can, you know, go to the CDC or the American Medical Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics. They have pages on this that talk about trans healthcare and how it works and how you can be affirming to you know children who are trans. Um, it's all out there. And I think that there is this fear among a lot of cisgender progressives who are so well meaning, but in the back of their mind, they're insecure about the idea of the science not supporting trans people, which, you know, I would get if your entire science knowledge of this is based on fifth grade biology, but the science supports us in every way, (laughs) like across the board, the science universally supports trans non-binary people from everything that we know. And so the more you research that, the more confident you'll become And the more you realize that this, there are only two uh, genders bullshit phrases that they keep keep bringing up as nonsense.
1: You know, that actually, I'm glad that you said that, because I think when I started looking into this issue a little bit more deeply, certainly when we started, you know, in 2010, discussing at Women's Flat Track Derby Association about a policy and what it was going to be, I had absolutely, and I don't claim to be an expert, believe me, but I had zero knowledge back then of what that meant. And I was like, well, I, do I have a position on this? Do I even have a stake in it? And, you know, and then over the years I've come to realize that, that you, you don't lose anything by including people. You right. just don't. And this idea that somehow you're going, the, the competition will change or feel different. I can just tell you firsthand it does not. And the, the, so I think that you're absolutely right. That um, that, understanding it more and, um, learning more about just, you know, what that means is, is crucial here. Um, and I'll, I'll start wrapping us up by saying, thank you so much for coming onto our little podcast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and also I just think it's really important that people check you out on Twitter for your boat puns. Exactly.
0: Um, oh, thank you. I like I to gonna, this out. But... I
1: was
2: really sad when the when the boat got moved. I know it's good for commerce, but it was bad uh-huh. for Twitter. And Charlotte, <laughs> your Twitter in particular. It's oh, been glorious.
0: I you had so glorious. much fun. What a fun week we had on Twitter <laughs> with this damn situation.
2: What keeps us coming back, man? There's always those little things that, you know, That's you're right. like, I'm going to miss it. If I catch us
0: afloat, you know, <laughs> <laughs> give, Charlotte exactly. a follow-
2: give Charlotte a follow on Twitter at CM Climber. Charlotte, you're the best. Thanks for your time. Thank you so
0: much for you both for making space for this. I really appreciate you.
2: Jane, as always, I mean, I know after every single guest, we're like, wow, what a great guest. We're never like, oh, that guest sucked. But I mean, Charlotte is about as far from sucking as you can get. She's terrific.
1: No, and she just lays out everything so well in terms of um, what the discussion needs to be. Um, and she also, she does come at, at it from a very political point of view as well, which I think is is yeah. really, it's different from some of the other guests that we've had on this and really interesting. And
2: you know that my favorite pastime is yelling about politics on Twitter. So <laughs>
1: God, that's the so- difference between being a columnist and just being a straight news writer.
2: Yeah, I know. I know. And people are always like, to me, like, you know, yelling at me about like, you didn't check your facts on this. Did you? Otherwise you wouldn't have said this. And I'm like, no, actually I did. And this is my opinion. Cause I'm a columnist. So shut up. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a whole there's a whole like segment of American society out there that has no idea the difference between a column and a reported piece um so we've got Baylor and yukon with 0.8 seconds left to go and one now two uh
1: points difference about what you expected mm, I mean I don't know what to expect i mean you do expect fewer upsets on the women's side just generally historically that's kind of how it's been but I, you know everything's uh everything's off the table with match madness i I've, I've, I've never any confidence in my picks can yeah, I tell you though I had I had such a great moment um, watching the end of the Texas game when they beat Maryland. and because at the end of it that you know, Texas has this great player named Charlie Collier who comes out and she's you know, they go to her after the game to you know, give a little brief on the court um, interview. She's got her hands on her hips. shes you know, she's one of these and her she starts the thing off saying listen. And I just love that you know, the, com- <laughs> the confidence. Right. So she's, she's doing this interview and she's so fantastic. And all I can, I'm so distracted though, by just how completely cut her arms are. Like she's so buff and it, she's got her hands on her hips and like they, her arms are just amazing. And then she says she can't wait to get back in the gym. And I was like, yeah, not the gym with the little pyramid dumbbells and the yoga mats though, the actual gym, because those arms deserve the best.
2: Damn it, Baylor lost. I had not picked to win the whole thing, but I completely agree with you. And, and we were saying just before the show got started that, you know, like when I was an athlete, when I was a gymnast when I was a diver, volleyball player, soccer player, it, like weight training wasn't even part of it. Right. It was like, run, just go run. And and our coach would be like, you know, like we might not be the best team, but they're not going to run us off the field or they're not going to run us off the court or whatever. Um, and it was all about cardio training. And, but now like weights are such a huge, important part of what women do in sports. And this whole idea of like, oh, you don't have bigger muscles than the guys. Like that whole thing has completely gone out the window.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, no, it's it's really okay. It's okay to have as big muscles as you want. <laughs> you know, absolutely.
2: I, yeah, yeah so, love I love
0: it.
1: I love whenever we get
2: these videos of the, of the women athletes training. Like there was Kendall Coyne Schofield, like doing pull ups with a huge weight tied around her waist, and I mean, you know, it's just like insane stuff that we've never really seen women do. Certainly not in the normal course of being an elite athlete.
1: I think it just—it just goes to show you that so much of what, certainly, you know, when Title IX was passed in 1972, so much of what the assumptions about what women are capable of was conditioning and not actually potential. Yeah, one hundred percent. Anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? No, I feel I feel pretty good
2: about what we've talked about. Is there? Okay. It
1: shows any anything that you you feel like we need to mention uh, beforehand?
2: I'm gonna start watching the Into the Storm cue and on thing on HBO. Because oh, that's everyone so that's watching it is just losing their mind about it. Yeah. Now I have to go see what everyone's talking about. But, you know, I've been pretty distracted with the tournament yeah. and with um, spring training for baseball. So that's what I've been watching lately. But, you know, like, I, you know, Sam Fell's wrote a great piece about this over Deadspin today, which I felt so much. I am so not excited about baseball. And hmm. it's just never happens to me, but between the rickets and what they've done to the Cubs and the pandemic and the idiots that are out there with no masks on that make me mad. Like every minute of the day, um, I'm just not fired up for baseball. Like I normally am.
1: So let's make an appeal to everybody who is listening to the ladies room podcast. We just have a couple more months to get through and then we can all go to a ballpark If things change. And I just like would love to be able to get to a place where the first thing that I'm thinking about is not whether or not a coach has their mask up. Right. We may have to mask into the future, but just the the idea that there is a looming storm that it potentially on the horizon with this stuff. I I just want to get beyond that feeling.
2: I would like to get back to worrying about whether or not I look fat in any given place or time, not whether or not I'm going to catch a deadly plague and die.
1: Right, exactly, exactly. I'm sure we, yes, exactly, right. Or whatever, whatever, whatever worries um, you have, anybody might have in that case. I, you, Julie, you're absolutely stunning. We should be liberated from having to think about some other- guy.
2: Some guy called me a ham beast. Oh, can you? I don't even like ham because a couple Christmases ago we had ham at my parents' house, and then we all got the stomach flu, and I haven't eaten ham since. So you're not you're not a I, am,
1: you're I'm not a TV. ham beast. You are not a ham beast. Yeah, <laughs> <At all. laughs> I'm a cheese beast. Can I be a cheese beast? You can. Okay. Thank um, you. I will that's be great.
2: a um. I'm now muting meant, that word on my Twitter though. Right now, I'm it. eating go. pecans like they're going out of style. So I'll be a pecan beast. <laughs> um, there you go. That's the best I can do. Sorry. Well, yeah. this has been another terrific episode where we end it by going completely off the rails.
1: Have you watched anything Jane, that? that I should know about? What's that? Have you watched anything I should know about? No, I'm pretty much the same okay. as you. But I've been been watching a little basketball. That's been good. A little 60 minutes. And I did. Oh, this this could be a whole <gasps> can 60 of 60 minutes. Yeah. No, I watched the CNN special on uh, the doctors talk about the pandemic where it was Burke, oh. vouching oh. on and read. Yeah. She can so fall maybe well. We, I, you know, I don't, I don't feel that I really do. I try to listen with an open mind with her because I do know that the misogyny of the way she is viewed is real mm-hmm. and the making fun of her scarves and all that. And yet I do agree with you. I feel like she was, was complicit in a lot of ways. I very much try to break my feeling about her job performance off from what I perceive as also a, a real misogyny that pulls her at her as well. Yeah, I agree.
2: Um, speaking of 60 minutes, if you didn't oh. see the piece yesterday that John oh, Warheimer yeah. did on Dave Kindred, great. Piece. Go find it online and watch it immediately. Like it is, it is really, I have not felt as good after, as I did after I watched that piece in a long time. Cause I feel like everything is just doom and gloom <laughs> and
1: tragedy everywhere we go. But yeah, so it was- we should tell, we should tell our listeners that uh, David Kindred had it was no longer working it's he's you know great writer and he's worked all over the place no longer at sports illustrated 300 interviews with Muhammad Ali or something insane like that I mean exactly retires gets bored starts following the local girls basketball team and then starts writing it writes every game does recaps does yearbooks all of this stuff and
2: at the the end when he said writers write, I was like I always say writers gotta write Because, you know, sometimes my husband will be like, oh, my God, you're exhausted. You've been working all day. Why are you sitting up writing? And I'm just like, writer's got to write.
1: It's like a sickness.
2: You just have to do it. Yeah. Can't stop. It's a terrific piece. It is very, very um, It's just warm and fuzzy. And I haven't seen something like that for a while. So I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, I hope that you did too. Go find it. We'll we'll tweet out the link if we can find it somewhere. If I remember. Maybe if I remember, I love how some people are like, you know, they have very detailed like show notes and everything. And I'm just like, if we can find it. And if I remember, <laughs> we'll share. <laughs> exactly right.
1: You can always right. DVR it.
2: Yeah, exactly. You, you find it yourself. You don't need me. Do a Google. Like Charlotte said, it's a subscriptions free service. I'm not out here doing your work for you,
1: <laughs>
2: listeners. Hey, uh, thanks for listening. We, it's always a joy to get to spend some time with you guys and definitely spending time with Jane is the best part of my week. Uh, You can give us a follow on Twitter at Jane Sports and at Julie DeCaro. And we will see you next week in the ladies room.